1: Yang sent off as VAR does exactly what it was designed to do, and never has done before, and never will do again. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Gunner. That's right. VAR reviewed a play. Saw a red card. Sent a player off. Has never happened previously. Will never happen again. Certainly didn't happen in the Liverpool match. Uh, we can talk about all that. It's certainly a big talking point. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's nice to know that when VAR does overturn a call, it can be exclusively to screw us over. Look, there is no refereeing bias or anything against Arsenal. It's just that Arsenal are the only ones that ever get bad calls. Um, anyway, hope everyone is doing well. Um, I am back from Vegas, so uh, I guess I'm not supposed to talk about that. But if you'd like to see how that went, you can see the pictures of my boyfriend, Tim Clark, from Ars to Mouse that have been doing the rounds on Twitter. We we ha- had a couple dates out there, which is fine. And then uh, now we can talk Arsenal. So Paul's here. You can find him on Twitter at PositiveMyPants, a pause. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello,
2: Clive. Hello, Luke.
1: Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, uh, Clive and I will be chatting for patrons tomorrow, doing the annual uh, transfer pod. We'll talk targets and rumors, and uh, Scott's analytics pod will be coming up in a couple of days as well, so all good stuff. But for now, we can talk about a draw against Crystal Palace, and it certainly didn't look like it was going to be a draw early on. Uh, We started the same lineup that we used against Manchester United, I think the first time all season that we've had uh, two consecutive league games with the same lineup, which is nice to be able to do. And we got off to a pretty hot start. And you know, the one thing I will say, Tim, you have a benefit here that uh, Clive and Paul and I do not have, which is not just uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of Arsenal history and an understanding of football, but also the fact that you didn't have to watch this game with the low camera angle. Now you may have had a shit <laughs> view from your, from your seat, because I understand there's yep. quite a lot of obstructed views there, so we can get into that. But uh yeah. Yeah, this was that low camera angle, and it's really hard tactically to make out anything that's happening. But, you know, the game certainly started well enough. But, you know, I think that one thing people have been talking about and maybe getting wrong is that the game started out great, and we were playing great right from the get-go. And I actually think the game started out well enough because Palace didn't press... And so we had a lot of room to operate, and yet I think some of the signs of early trouble, of later trouble, were there because we really struggled to get the ball into Ozil. I don't think the midfield was progressing the ball well, and all of the uh, responsibility sort of fell to Louise, who was pinging these long passes to Kolasinac and Aubameyang, while Palace seemed to be more focused on shutting down the Ozil, Maitland Niles, Pepe side. So we started well and we had the good possession, but do you think that maybe, just maybe, you could see some of the problems in in the fact that we weren't really able to progress the ball uh, into Ozil and and get the ball to the forwards through the midfield?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that's a little bit a symptom of the way Crystal Palace play. They play quite deep with uh, deep blocks and they were sitting off, which is pretty much how they tend to play anyway. And then they try and hit you on the counter. Um, But I also think it's kind of um, symptomatic of probably what we've seen so far. Um, You know, Arsenal have still struggled for goals and... Um, you know, I think I'm right in saying. Well, I know I'm right in saying. In the Premier League this season, um, we have one goal from a midfielder, and that was Torreira at Anfield, which was a pretty meaningless goal. So, um, you know that that ability. You know, we look. We've we've lost a lot of players, right? Who can progress the ball from one part of the pitch to the other. Um, a lot of them over the years. We've lost Sanchez, we've lost uh, Ramsey, who breaks beyond strikers. Uh, we've lost Oxley Chamberlain. We've even lost like players like Walcott, who can break in behind. Um, oh, and we be just did have some a, of that,
1: right? I mean, we lost. Iwobi, you know, yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Although I, I think it won't be probably I, he'd get the ball like to the edge of the area, but not so much in the mm. area. But um, but yeah, yeah, like we we still kind of lack. Runners and riders, really um, dribblers and and you know like Özil and Lacazette, they aren't those players. They want the ball to feet and they're f- and and you know this is not to criticise either of them, but they're they're both fairly static in that regard. Um, and it's it's really only a um that breaks and that really moves in a way that troubles defenses. And and we saw that for the goal. I mean, the goal was beautifully worked, um, but it's only a Bamiyang running after it. Um, and it's, you know, and the thing is, when you've only got one player who breaks into the box, everything has to be perfect. Um, and, and it was for the goal. You know, Ozil's touch is perfect. Lacazette digs the ball out, keeps it brilliantly. Perfect through ball, perfect touch. But, you know, it's it's a Goldilocks goal. And that's kind of what we have to do at the moment because we mm. still don't have the players to create that kind of chaos and and i guess when you lose players like ramsey and sanchez who are you know the absolute byline in creating chaos and unpredictability um you know you you lose a bit of that and and this is why i didn't have that much patience with people who are critical of those players for not being you know for not standing in their holes and and you know just uh conforming to the formation graphic at all times i, I think what we've seen so far basically is that um the the possession's much better under under Arteta, um, but that's primarily been good for defensive reasons so yeah, far. Well said, mm-hmm. um, because it's keeping teams away from our goal, um, and and you know maybe maybe we could do one or two players whose technical level is a little bit higher as well. But um, and then you know look. I'm sure we'll get into individual players and Ozil has earned, you know, rightly earned a lot of commendation for what he's prepared to do off the ball and the intensity. But I wonder if we're just seeing at the age of 31 that he can't do that and then get in front of goal afterwards, Um, you know, in in the way that perhaps he did a couple of seasons ago when we had Sanchez playing up front and Ozil breaking in behind him. Can can he do that anymore? Um, I'm not really sure. So um, there's just, there's a lot of, to feet players, um, I think we're seeing uh, in this team other than Abamyang, and um, that's that's going to be even more of a problem now. So, mm. um, I, I think with a player like a Ramsey or a Sanchez. I think we would have scored more goals in that first 30 minutes where structurally, possession wise, we were dominating the play, but we just didn't have someone or we didn't have enough players just willing to take that gamble and perhaps move Crystal Palace's centre halves about. We moved their midfield about nicely. Um, but I don't think we moved their center halves about, and and that's to do with the players we have, I think.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and I, I don't know exactly why it wound up this way, but if you look at the pressure maps, I, I know uh, Giant Gunnar did his um, stats review in the Discord, and one of the maps he posts is is pressures. A lot of pressure on our attacking right, their defensive left. Maitland-Niles was pressured, Pepe was pressured, Ozil was pressured. They They kept the ball away from that area and won the ball back in that area, and if you look at them... Pepe, I think, was 26 of 26 passing against Manchester United. I think he had a 50% pass completion in this game, and Maitland-Niles wasn't far behind at about 63%. So they really shut down our, our ability to get the ball into those areas and use it effectively in those areas. And maybe the idea is that makes it harder to give the ball to Aubameyang where he can hurt you, which we did for the goal through the middle because they kind of let Aubameyang and Koulosinac get the ball in the left wing. Um... And so maybe they, they looked at it as as we don't mind those guys being on the ball if they're not giving it to Aubameyang on the end of the move. I don't know if it was intentional or just how the game played out. But, Clive, I mean, I think for me, the first, you know, the the credit that we're being given for the first 30 ish, 40 ish minutes of the, of the half is warranted. We dominated it. But I think the credit belongs not so much, as Tim said, with the way we possessed it to score, but the way we possessed it to keep them from scoring. And I think what's becoming clear under Arteta is sometimes you just have to realize that your expectations of something are wrong. I assumed that we would just continue to be bad defensively because we have bad defenders and that Arteta would come in and make us better at attack because we've good attackers. And realistically that has not happened. Arteta has made us a much better team, but what he's made us a better team at doing is, is conceding fewer chances and being harder to break down by keeping the ball more or certainly winning the ball back higher up the pitch. And in that first 30 or 40 minutes, you know, we didn't get a lot of shots off. We didn't do a ton in the in the final third. But I think they had something like one touch in our final third and and maybe like five in, in our half or something. I'm paraphrasing stats, which is never good. Um, but so is, is the most impressive thing to you right now under Arteta Clive, the extent to which this system, this spacing, this formation is maybe not unlocking our creative potential, but has surprisingly made us a very competent team defensively?
2: That's that's part of the story, yeah. Yeah, I think um what he's done is something that maybe we did not know could be done so quickly and done this way. So the system that we have now particularly in possession with the the two three five or two three four one, if you wanna whatever diagrams you wanna follow. We all know it now. We all know where people stand. I think it was slightly different in this game because Zaha forces Maitland-Niles to stay wide, which is probably the one detail that was different. And what that does is it gives Socrates more of the ball. And if you're Crystal Palace, you want Socrates to have a lot of the ball. And I think he was our second top passer in this game. And that immediately disconnects the right-hand side of any sort of quality because that's not what he's there for. So this is the next phase. Now, I've been I've been really enjoying what Arteta's done. We all have. We can all see what he's done to inspire people. We can all see what he's done to make people feel comfortable in a system by giving them roles and responsibilities, but also reducing people's roles and responsibilities and allowing them to flourish. We can all see it. And if we can all see it, other people could see it. And that means we're now getting to the phase of what I call transparency, end of, disco- end of discovery into transparency, the issues in the team are, are going to become clearer. And the issues we're going to see going forward are the ones that are not so fixable and not so coachable. And they're the ones that are going to be driven by physical or mental intelligence limits. Right, So it's quite interesting what Tim mentioned about Erzl. I think we saw a little bit of reversion in his game. But he couldn't quite overcome. We didn't see a bad attitude. We just saw maybe this is hard work for him. With We all know what's happened with Lacazette and his historic de- uh, delivery and performance and execution away from home. That's an issue now for us because we can see that the player that is not going to be playing the next three games is so key away from home. We're starting to see that when we, when we stretched out Torreira a little bit, although he was fantastic, we have to get something else maybe around that area, a bit more mm-hmm. all-court development in that area, to make sure we can overcome and problem-solve. And I just feel the next phase of Arsenal is now being laid clear to us. We're going to need some carrying. We're going to need a little bit more speed. We're going to need a little bit more fitness. But I'm okay with it. Because it's really be it's going to be clear in the next few weeks, and we need it to be clear, because the summer recruitment needs to be spot on, given how we projected forth financially into the, from last year, and some of that needs to improve, some of that needs to develop, and some of that needs to come back on loan. But how we add to that is is so important. So these weeks that we're going through now is all about transparency and leading to renewal transparency of issues, transparency of limits, other teams going to watch us, other teams going to push us into areas we don't want to be in, and they're going to stress the players that are maybe at their technical limit, and that's going to be the challenge. So we need other people to step up, like Pepe, like Ozil, like Lacazette, to really step up and exceed expectations to carry us through these next few weeks, because otherwise we, I think we're going to hit a little bit of a uh, a plateau potentially.
1: Yeah, and it's it's understandable. I mean, I, I think the fact is progress isn't linear, right? I mean, it looks a little bit more like a stock market, bull market type thing. It goes up, and then it dips down a little bit, and it goes up, and dips down a little bit. You can't expect it to just be a linear uh, progression. But I think, you know, like, like every game under Arteta, there have been things that I really liked in this one. But, you know, I, I think what I'm starting to realize, Paul, is that I believed that our biggest problem was a lack of defensive talent. That may still be our biggest problem, to be fair. I mean, it wasn't really tested that much under uh, against Crystal Palace. But I'm starting to shift to think maybe our biggest problem is ball progression. And I'm curious to get your take on how that midfield, that Shaka, Torreira, and, and sort of Ozil midfield functioned or didn't function. Um, you yeah. look at Mesut Ozil's pass chart against Manchester United, okay? And half of his passes, probably more, are in the defensive half of the pitch. Now, you might say, well, that's a bad thing. That's not where you want him. I think it's critical, because I think we have limited central midfielders, and their limitations are, are clear in a variety of ways. I mean, Shaka, we know his limitations with mobility, and is not particularly progressive. In this game, I think he had, like, four passes in our half. He just didn't seem to be willing or interested or, or able or whatever, whatever word you want to put. I don't want to put... um negative connotations onto it in terms of intent but he he wasn't dropping in and uh, Torreira made more passes in the first half than Shaka did in the whole game but overwhelmingly he was forced to go back to the defenders now in one instance I know you point this out he went back to Luiz who went forward to Ozil de Lacazette for the goal and that was a brilliant move but all too often I felt that Palace were comfortable letting Torreira have the ball and he wasn't able to really go forward with it so where is the short mm-hmm. circuit in our ball progression? Is, is it a limitation in the central midfielders? Is it too dependent on Ozil dropping in, which he didn't do in this game? How do you see that that challenge uh, presenting itself, particularly when we sort of had control of the game, but but failed to really get the ball forward enough?
4: Yeah, okay. So it's a really weird game to analyze because there are things I really liked about the midfield and our ball progression and things I didn't like. And... Uh, I was still kind of amazed that we produce so little at the end of the day. I mean, we dominated passing in the first 25 minutes or so, just wiped it out. And there's a, a really good breakdown on the breakdown of the passing, and then it flips the other way. They dominate play and, and passing, and for it's almost like a, a, a switch got flipped. But what I think is evident in that first half in particular is how fixed... The play is, I mean, it's on both sides. So uh, Torreira has given us some positional discipline we haven't had for a long time. Um, and he what I've wanted to see with Torreira and Chaka was that Torreira took that central, deeper spot and started pulling the strings. And I thought that part of it was absolutely uh, well, let's not go too far because you can just get knocked off your pedestal pretty quickly in the next game. But I thought that was very, very good. I thought that was Arteta-esque in terms of how he played that game. And if if you remember back in the day Art, when Arteta played DM, you'd have all sorts of people saying, oh, he's no good, he's boring, he's okay, he's meh, he plays it side to side, he knocks it back. Um, you know, I think sometimes people remember him as this guy who was swinging the ball to to both wings um which he did to some some degree but mostly he was a rhythm tempo guy a heads up simple passes making things happen for other people um and while you're right on the statistics in terms of passing and him progressing the ball he has in the first half He has maybe four, what I would call, progressive passes, even though they don't quite meet that definition for distance. But they're really nice little passes that move us forward, uh, often to Ozil. Uh, But outside of that, everything else is move us from side to side. And the trade-off for that is Granite Xhaka is never pressed in this game. Unfortunately, Granite Xhaka doesn't do anything in this game is is part of the problem. I, I don't mean that as... I don't think he did anything wrong. It's just somehow with this static setup, we got very little out of Chaka and we got loads out of David Luiz. So he's hitting Aubameyang four or five times in the first half, um, spraying the ball around. He's the guy who, you know, if you look at uh, the Luiz pass into Ozil and you look at it just before that, they're pinging it around between him, Torreira and Socrates in a triangle. And that opens up the channel for... Luis to step forward. Chaka is right over to the left. Um, So it's created space. So it was lovely. It worked perfectly for the goal. But somehow Luis was the only one who benefited from it. And it seemed like Maitland-Niles was nailed down, taking care of Zaha. They knew to watch out for Pepe on that side. They knew they uh, maybe learned with the lineup where Ozil was going to be stationed. Every single, I think Ozil has like 30 touches Um, and 28 of them are on the right-hand side of the pitch and well onto the right. So it's all just very static. As as Tim was alluding to, Aubameyang was the guy making the movement, the run, Um, and we just couldn't get much going down the right-hand side, and it it seemed like they always had the passing lanes blocked up there. Um, But in terms of what Torreira did, you know that's that's a weakness against us that we couldn't open up that side, but that gave us the right hand side. And I don't think we did enough with it. Somehow, the Chaka thing just didn't work that it was kind of like not having a man being down a man in the first half. He came into it a little bit later on when we were down to ten men and he he upped his production. but he had less than ten percent of our passes. Now, if you think of Granite Chaka as our midfield passer historically, um, he was up around 18, 20% of our passes when he was the man, sometimes 22%. Well, as you alluded to, Terreira had twice the number of passes as Chaka, and Luis was doing the raking balls and the, the swingers and the the uh, picking the men out. And I think we lost a man there. Now, it mm. did allow us to move Kolasinac up and maybe push Aubameyang in, but we just didn't take advantage of it. It on that side. Had we, I think, we would have pulled some of their midfield over that way more often, uh, and freed up the right hand side. So it was a trade off we didn't take advantage of. And one other thing I would say is yeah. what Torreira did give us was they may have dropped off us, but they were dropping onto the guy in midfield, putting pressure on him. And the quickness of Torreira's passing, Chaka can never do that. And I'm not here to knock Chaka. I quite like him. I think he's a useful guy in our rotation. But they never got to Torreira. They kicked him. They fouled him. They put him on the ground. IU, uh, I would say most of his seven fouls that should have been penalized really early Leon, um, were on Torreira. And they never really laid a glove on him in terms of getting the ball off him. And he absorbed all that pressure, which freed up Luis and Chaka, but we didn't use it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look, you can have issues with a player without saying that player is shit. I mean, I can't. But a normal person can. Um, but but like I do think that Torreira quickens the tempo. I think he's elusive. I think he's fairly press resistant. I think his winning the ball back is certainly important. And there is absolutely no question in my mind that, that Arteta has put him in a position where he can thrive. And we're seeing that influencing the extent to which we're able to keep the threat away from our goal and win balls back. Great. I just don't think he's a particularly progressive passer. And that doesn't necessarily have to be his role. But it has to be someone's. Um, you know, and in this game, as you rightly point out, it fell a lot to uh, Louise. I mean, if you look at Liverpool, who have a fairly workman-like midfield in many ways, a lot of it falls to Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. But, you know, we have Coliseon who can't pass, and Maitland-Niles with a very off-day passing, 63%. And uh, so I think... Maybe we short-circuited because Ozil didn't drop in because he couldn't get on the ball because he wasn't involved in some ways, and I I can't fully explain why that happened. Um, I thought the patterns of play were just a little bit weird, and then we lost control of the game for a bit. But, Tim, unfortunately, I know this is is probably not the question you want to be addressing because it's never your favorite issue, but I I think it is a story of the game. I do think the refereeing wound up influencing the way this game went now, they did start to press a bit more once they got behind, and, and we did struggle to cope with it a bit. I still don't think they were causing us a lot of trouble, but it seems clear to me that they were rotationally fouling, tactically fouling to, to try to kill our buildup, and they weren't getting cards for it, which means they can continue to do it. On the flip side, they were going down every opportunity they had to win free kicks. Their entire route mm-hmm. to goal was free kicks, and of course their goal comes from one that, all right, we don't deal with it great, um, you know, it's still a deflected shot that goes through five bodies before going in, and and that's basically the only thing they created in the whole game. But I do think that the weak refereeing, um, and and we'll come to the the Aubameyang incident in a bit, but the weak refereeing generally, uh, I think, was a big story of this game, both in terms of their ability to break up our flow and how they ultimately got their goal and and built a goal. I mean, do you think in this rare instance, it's fair to point to refereeing as as a big talking point?
3: Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. Um. I think my, uh, my aversion to talking about this isn't so much that, like, it never, ever happens or that, ref- like, a lot of people misunderstand this, like, that when when you, the principle of sticking up for something, not necessarily because you always agree with it or think it's wonderful, um, you know, it, it happens, it does happen, um, you know, you're right to say there is no, con- like... Like they, I, I'm seeing so many tweets at the moment about Liverpool VAR, and it's like they're 16 fucking points clear. Like, like what are you like? What are you doing? Like, it okay, matter, all right, yeah. take, g- g- Give them a red card somewhere random in the season or a goal. It's like, well, now they're 14 points clear. Well, <laughs> fucking done. Like, uh, you know, people are just. It, I, I do think it, to, it's to it's be fair, to It's the him. subject people want consistency. Exhausted, but I, I want
1: consistency. <laughs> you know what? I I don't. If you're gonna. Do it one way, do it that way for everyone, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah, but um, I, see, that's an argument I've always had trouble with because consistency, What? because the laws of the game um, are subjective largely And you accept that you give the referee a lot of judgment calls and and judgment Mm. calls can differ from person to person. Do you know what consistency looks like? Getting those rulers out and checking whether someone's toenail is offside. Now, if you want consistency, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to complain about that because that's consistent. That's treating every single incident the same. Um, And actually, I think um, IFAB have got quite a lot of unfair flack over this that's what people are asking for. That's consistency. That's saying we are not going to let linesmen and referees make judgment calls. We are going to measure it to the centimetre because this is the only way we can do the same thing for everyone because people have said they don't want subjectivity. They don't want inconsistency. So that's what consistency looks like. So people can decide whether they like that or whether they don't. I think most people don't, but, you know, some people might, right and that's that's absolutely fine that's their call um but to actually answer your question yes (laughs) i i i I do think that that was um and look when you're particularly when you're in the ground and you're in the away end and you're in an away end like selhurst park where you could only see about 40 percent of the pitch clearly uh you know it's not exactly an atmosphere or a vista that is ripe for objective conclusions but i mean with like more than usual um you know, I was getting agitated and I was just like, is there like a chip in this referee's head that every time a pair of blue shorts hits the grass, he has to blow his whistle. Mm. And like, and yeah, the the IU thing, I, I thought that was really obvious. And it was ex- especially frustrating when Lacazette was booked for persistent fouling yep. for doing exactly the same thing, just on slightly fewer occasions um and you know they pretty much were all fouls by lacazette but i mean they were all like you know i don't i don't even think he really tripped anyone it was it was more just obstruction um and and, and look I, d- I didn't have a massive problem with him being booked for that but in in the face of ayu being booked but but arteta actually alluded to this and actually whether you think the referees responsible or not the fact is the rhythm of the game got broken up um you know and and that didn't work for us and whether that was palace being a bit clever by committing more fouls whether that was them being a bit clever by going down a bit more often um i mean actually to be honest in the first 30 minutes there was very little physical contact anyway it was just kind of arsenal passing and palace watching um but for one reason or another they they got a bit more um uh they got a bit more in in our faces and there was there were a lot more duels and whether we handled them brilliantly i'm not sure whether the referee handled them brilliantly i'm not sure um but but either way it 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 destroyed the rhythm of the game i I do just want to do like a sentence on the the midfield Um, Oh yeah
1: please sorry Uh, absolutely if you have something to add to that i think i think it's the story of the game in some ways uh,
3: yeah and i'll be brief um but I think the issue we've got is that we've got two players in Jacker and Torreira, where ideally you want one player to do what they both do. Mm. I think that's the problem. Look at Manchester City; they had Fernandinho, and then they've got De S- they've got um, Silver and De Bruyne. Um, that's what they had last season. This year they've got Rodri, and then they've got Silver and De Bruyne. So no one cares that Fernandinho's passing is not wonderful and expansive and that he's not hitting 60 yard crossfield balls because he's not because they've got silver and De Bruyne in there they don't need that Um, and like you say you point to Liverpool Liverpool just sit Fabinho there Fabinho doesn't spread the play Fabinho Mm. doesn't do brilliant line breaking passes he wins the ball back and then he gives it to some and then he's got he's got like more than one player around him who can do that the issue for Arsenal is that they've got two players doing that one job and I'll be very interested to see if Arteta's tempted to drop Ceballos into that double pivot. Absolutely. Perhaps alongside yeah, mm-hmm. Torreira, and then you've got Ceballos and Ozil, and then you've got your two passing midfielders. And I think Torreira's a good passer of the ball. I don't think he's a bad passer of the ball at all. I think he punches the ball through the lines quite nicely. He is not a wonderful, amazing passer that's going to like split your defence open but that's not really his job. Um, the reason we expect that of him is because we've got too few players in the team who do actually do that job. So I, I'd be very interested. I think Arteta said Sabios isn't a number 10, so I'd be very interested to see if he comes into the equation there.
1: I totally agree that he's not a number 10. Everything Arteta says, I love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think <laughs> one of the big problems is I thought it was clear when we got Ceballos he wasn't a 10. I think Emery tried him there. I, he tried a lot of things at 10 that didn't work, to be fair, and we don't have a lot of players that suit that role. But I, I definitely don't think he is. And I think you could put him next to a Torreira, and you could move the ball forward a little bit. And both of them have that bite. I mean, Ceballos is probably underrated for his defensive work rate and, and his ability to win the ball back. So I could see that working. I mean, maybe eventually it does have to be a three-man midfield because, as you rightly point out, you know i in Shaq and Torreira, you have two guys that ideally you'd want one. So maybe you just need three guys. Maybe you need Gondouzi, Ceballos, and Torreira, and you sacrifice an Ozil, and you, you know, progress the ball up the pitch with shorter passes and then let the forwards do their work, you know, and you sacrifice a little of that final ball. Now, I know Ozel had a nice little pre assist in this game, but I mean, it's not like he's exactly dropping dimes um, game in, game out, although he's, he's done some more of that since Arteta's come in. Certainly. Clive, I, I, I guess we can. Talk about Obamiang. if you're ready to talk about that. I I think this is probably one that that is a quick answer for me. I think that's a red card offense. Um, I thought we got away with it. I I don't think it's nasty by intent, but I think, you know, look, he's steaming in. He's a bit out of control. His foot is high. His leg is straight. His studs are showing. He's not near the ball. It's a red card. It's, It's the kind that can happen. Uh, It's a forwards challenge, as they say. It's still a red card, and it's something that we would not want done to one of our players. I think the frustration comes from the fact that we got away with the yellow and VAR overturns it when the VAR rules this season have overwhelmingly been relying on the judgment of the referee who made the call. So just really quickly, and then we can move on to more interesting tactical stuff for you. Um, Do you consider it a red card, and are you bothered by the fact that VAR turned it into one?
2: I thought he was very unlucky to get that. I think it's all about timing. If he makes a contact with um, Max Meyer's foot and it's off the ground, it's a simple contact, foul and done. Because the timing of mistimed tackle with his foot on the ground, with his full weight on it, when the, the touch happens, it moves his ankle over. Of course, what you happen then, you're being judged on outcome, right? So if his foot's in the air, it's just a foul, maybe a yellow. And yeah, but because his foot's on the ground, bent ankle, slow motion, outcome, dangerous. Right. So the fact that this tackle happened right in front of the Crystal Palace's bench, and they did not – you didn't hear a word out of them. Normal football is if you get a chance to do somebody quite close to your bench and make it bigger than what it is, you take it. No one did anything because the speed and the danger wasn't there in the tackle. It wasn't – Obvious to the human eye. It's only when you saw it, it looked surprisingly ugly. But it wasn't really. It was just very unfortunate. I think a three-game ban for that is too much. I really do. But that's the rules of the game. You know, that's the rules of the game. It's just, it's just very unfortunate.
1: I do agree with you, by the way, that VAR gave it because of the outcome. I agree with that. I, I agree. Now, what I disagree with, I would say, I think... I, I'd like that type of challenge taken out of the game, and I'm okay with it being read, but I totally agree that it's a it's a post-hoc decision to send him off because the ankle buckles.
2: Yeah, he, look, he's trying his best. I mean, there was a tackle in the last game when he came steaming back, and I was watching it thinking, please be careful, don't do your cruise shit like Theo Walcott did. Steaming back, sliding from the side. I'm thinking, crikey! I, I know everyone's really trying to impress the manager, but just take it easy. <laughs> take it easy. You know we don't want to lose you for nine months, because that'll be not great, right? So, but so it's unfortunate. It's a byproduct of the new system. There was many, many times in this game where we won the ball back very, very quickly, and it's and it's great to see great to see so unfortunately we got we got some work to do to replace him as we all know because our center forward couldn't score in the brothel he can't he casts down his feet and um he's working very hard but he looks devoid of confidence and he goes through these things now and again pepe had one of his ineffectual games ozil for some reason has got an aversion to shooting so that's a problem and, you know, I, I have a lot of hope in Martinelli, funny enough, when he's on the pitch. I think Pepe's running into areas where he can't get his shot off. I don't know why he's doing that. So we've got some offensive work to do to to step up the game, to be much more, much more clinical and intent on scoring. There has got to be more intent on shooting and scoring from very highly paid, highly skilled footballers that have the ability to do it. They got to work harder, to get themselves into positions to support the one guy that's killing himself defensively and killing himself offensively to get into <laughs> positions. That personality away from home is still not there, right? So, and I got to have a guy in the midfield. Am I allowed to go in the midfield? Yeah,
1: please. The only thing I was going to say is it's it just boggles the mind that you can start a game with Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe, and Ozil on the pitch and still not find ways to get shots off. I mean, forget scoring, even get shots off. And I, I just think Lacazette's form. You know, I'm not to pick on him over Pepe, who wasn't great, but Lacazette's form, I think, is is a big problem for that because I think while he's doing good work off the ball, that his work on the ball is short circuiting a lot of what we're trying to do in the final third.
2: Uh, every game is different, right? So it's quite interesting that Paul was was talking about Louise and and Shaka. And I was fine with Shaka. I thought he was fine in this game, absolutely fine. They put him under a bit of pressure. The good thing is we have got somebody standing right next to him that can pass nearly as good as him. Problem solved. We don't lose that side. So left side, we're good. We're making, we're making advancements. We've You're got, talking about Louise, top...
1: right? But the guy who's standing yeah. next to him. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Just, just double check. Got... Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Because that's good. That's a problem solver. We have got two players that can do it. Done. Right, Torreira I agree, Tim. I like his passing. It's sharp. It's quick. It's one touch. No problem there whatsoever. The problem is, the further up the pitch with Elsa and Pepe, our retention of the ball, our showing from the ball wasn't good enough. Their ability to get into areas to receive it, turn around and start to connecting wasn't good enough. Wasn't it often enough? Wasn't intense enough? Wasn't good enough. But that's the issue. we got two players with quite similar styles, didn't give us enough on the other side, didn't come in. Now, we made the Niles slightly wider to really manage their danger, man. I thought maitland Niles had a brilliant game. His game is different today. He had a brilliant game off stop. the ball. Absolutely. We have, we yeah. have to mm-hmm we have to stop their best player. He he reduced their best player to under 30 touches or under 30 passes. Unbelievable. Killed him, stone dead. Miles Bull, Miles Bull was sitting in the crowd. Right? Imagine
4: so- us discussing Maitland-Niles uh, marking a their best player out of the game and go yeah. back to when we thought Maitland-Niles might be a good full-back wing-back because of his attacking prowess or his his midfield skills. And I mean... If there's one testament to what Arteta has done, that is a remarkable transformation. That uh, that Maitland-Niles maintained that level of focus for 94 minutes.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, Paul, you know, you know my thinking on this player, right? So it's not even like I don't want to go too heavy on it because I think he's got real talent to do a very, very good job, and I think. Physically, he's supreme. Concentration-wise, comes with maturity. I don't think he's an overly mature player, but I think he's found a level of importance. He was rested for this game. That makes you feel good. He came into this game with poise. I did not stress about him for a second. And that's just somebody making you feel good and safe in your work environment. It's a classic example of that. And he produced. It's not the same game we saw versus Manchester United, but football isn't the same. So when that happens, that's probably why Urza was a little bit more right to cover for that situation and to double up when he needed to with Pepe to make sure we cut their danger out. But you've got to do more offensively. Now, we, Tim is right to quote Sanchez and Ramsey, particularly away from home. We haven't had the personality away from home to deliver consistent amount of goals that we need to win games. And a lot of that is in... I know Pepe's first season, but Ozil's not great away from home. Lacazette's not great away from home. We haven't replaced that swagger, you heard me say, a million times. And we needed to. We really needed to. And so you, Elliot, you've naturally swung to the back end of the team and how we progress it forward. But what you've got to do is two sides of this coin. you got to show. you got to show. You've got to be available. You've got to be active. You've got to be changing your lines. And I don't think Ozil and Pepe did enough to do that. And I think Young shamed them when it came to progression in my – just on my human eye, without seeing any numbers, I felt he looked the better player progressing the ball than the two stroke tens, as I call them, in and Ansel and Pepe.
1: Mm, yeah, and and I mean, look, all you have to do is compare the, the Pepe and Maitland-Niles performances against United to the ones against Palace. Uh, Maitland-Niles led us in passing against United. Okay, I think it was 6th in this game and he passed at 63%. Pepe completed all 26 passes that I referenced against United. He completed 14 of his 25 in this game. And I mean to the extent that they shut down Zaha, I think Zaha and Riedewald deserve credit for shutting down our right flank completely. Um, you know, and and that that was the area that could have been the danger. Area. Maitland-Niles giving it to Pepe, Pepe dribbling past people, they didn't let that happen. And so it wound up going back to the left. Maybe they I I think they tilted the the pitch and and let Louise ping those passes to Aubameyang, and and decided that they were going to cut off, you know, they were going to cut off the, the Pepe Maitland Niles area of the pitch, and and they kind of nullified each other. To be fair, if I told you that. Pepe and Maitland Niles were gonna get nullified, but that they would nullify Zaha, you might have taken that trade off. And ultimately the crazy thing about this game is it might have worked. Because truthfully, we got a goal and they deserve nothing from this game. They created virtually nothing, they deserve virtually nothing. Um, and I think we're a bit unlucky. And and Paul, I think where the credit belongs, the irony is the focus in this game where I've, you know, the pods I've listened to and the blogs I've read to steal ideas so that I have something to say on this podcast, have emphasized, you know, our dominance early in the game. But I think Arguably, the part I'm most impressed with is is how we did down to ten men, where I thought we showed real composure and organization. We attacked them without leaving ourselves overly vulnerable. The spacing and the distances were still good. Um, You know, I thought we looked really composed, and we looked like we were the team that was going to win it. If anyone was, not that we created a ton. I mean, how how do you feel about the second half? You know, I I think it's natural because we had a dominant spell in the first half, and we wound up not winning the game to draw a contrast between Torreira and Ganduzi and say, Torreira going off really hurt us. And I, I think that that is narrative. I think that that is results-based conversation. I think Gunduzi coming on did not hurt us. I thought he was the better of the midfielders in the second half of the two. Um, you know, I thought he played pretty well. And I thought some of our best periods in this game were down to 10 men. So, I mean, do you do you agree with me that that was a good period for us? And was there anyone anything that happened during that period of the game that, that particularly stood out for you?
4: Um, In a weird, uh, uh, contorted way, I think all three periods, you can take something positive going forward. I agree with you, uh, Ganduzi was. um, I think he really picked up where Torreira left off, and he gave us that energy. Again, the frustrating thing is, and as people know, I generally am reasonably positive towards Chaka while seeing his limitations. I think, again, in the second half, while he was more active, he wasn't super active and he was he was still um he struggled really to to uh, impact the game. I think maybe a lack of athleticism when you're down to ten men doesn't help um I think he did an excellent job defensively I think our midfield generally did a really good job throughout the game I think one of the things that was missed a little bit in the first half when they they came back into it and pushed on against us was. What would be the one thing we all say? You don't do 10 minutes before halftime when you're a goal up. You don't concede. And we didn't remotely look like conceding. I, I, j- um, just me.
1: I'm I'm kind of tactically innovative. I would say don't concede ever. Just, you know.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Good, good. Right, write that down. note on paper. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now maybe part of that is just that, you know, they weren't great, Crystal Palace. But um, I do think we paid a strong price for nailing Dan Zaha on that on our right-hand side. And I think that made a lot of things more static than they would have otherwise be. It it had knock-on effects for Pepe and for Ozil to some degree. I mean, we should still have been good enough to play around that and to make shit happen, but it does. We were just so static in many ways with the amount of possession we had. Um, but they, they come on to us. and I think we did absolutely uh, by comparative levels, Absolutely excellently to maintain that solidity. Um, And I think we did good, particularly at the end of the first half. In the second half, they come on to us, they're earning their free kicks. And I think Arteta uh, hits the key point, and we talked about it earlier, giving away that many free kicks in our half just kept the pressure on. I think we contributed as much as anything to our own demise there. I I do wonder whether Obama-Yang... Knew what he was doing with that with that red card, and I say that in this way, not not because he wanted to damage anybody, but I I do definitely think there's a reasonable chance Obama Yang wanted to leave somebody on somebody who'd been kicking so many of us. We should remember he's the captain now. Mm. He doesn't feel about football like he used to, where he was like this young, free, and single uh, winger. Uh, doing his thing adding goals you know life of the party or whatever he's he's very serious these days he will run the length of the pitch to to cover his full back and i think the frustration in the dressing room at halftime with all of the fouls that then continues in the second half where they're getting these fouls and pushing his back and i think uh there's a very good chance that that fella. Uh, Took a couple of lumps out of him or somebody else and Aubameyang saw his chance to give him a little reminder what it's like on the other side. I doubt he was trying to do the guy in, but I definitely think he wanted to leave uh, something on that guy, especially because that actual slide with the studs is how he puts in half of his, his goals for a tap in in the six yard box. So. He's got a lot of control at that point.
1: That's a good point. He's uh, a guy running at full pace who has supreme control of his body, as he showed when he put when he scored the goal earlier in the match.
4: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, like, a, I'm I'm not saying he wanted a red a red card or that he wanted to totally do the guy in. There's a bit that's at the end that that's beyond your full control, but I definitely think he wanted to leave something on that guy. And. Um, why I think that's significant, I think we were very, very, very frustrated in how the game was going. Um, and I think the key takeaway from that is Arteta's idea of game management. And then you put with that the lapse of concentration. And these are the areas that are, you talked about one step forward, one step back kind of thing. And, and I think that's where we're at. I think it's going to take a while before we have a mentality. that The midfield's performing well. And in some ways, the attack is uh, at least looking a semblance of what it can be, though this wasn't the best game for it. And the defense has generally been very solid. Uh, But that mentality, the, the toughness, the swagger away from home that Clive talks about, the focus throughout 90 minutes, that stuff's all hard won by. That's the hive mind stuff that you can't just coach individual players to get, that one guy playing hard for 90 minutes doesn't solve. This is a collective focus throughout a game and I think that's that That was really where we lost uh, the match and the momentum and ended up getting a point instead of three uh, but individual performances were generally good I mean Maitland-Niles for 90-something minutes Torreira for that first half you might want him to maybe show a different profile or personality but I, I went back after all the debates on him and watched his first half I just think he, everything he did was I totally what agree. he intended I, to do.
1: I, 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 I want to be clear. I, yeah. I, it's not that I, I am a Terrera believer. I'm, I'm a Torreira yeah. truther. It's not that I have a problem with what he did. It's that we, we Wasn't didn't what have, we needed, well, yeah, the exactly. Question. We didn't have anyone doing what we needed, uh, you know, in the midfield. Anyway, I mean, Louise did some of it, I guess. Well, let me ask you this, Tim, you know, the, the point of this season in the Premier League right now isn't to win games. I mean, it is, but it isn't right because we're not going anywhere. We're we're maybe going to sneak into Europa League places, and I think we could probably have a debate on whether we will and whether we should. We're not going to get in the top four. you know. We're not going to achieve anything in the Premier League this season. So the goal is to observe Arteta and see if progress is being made. And I guess it's a complex question, but what I would ask you is, do you see continued progress and improvement in this performance, um, or is it a step back for you, or some, somewhere in between, or in, anything else you'd like to talk about? <laughs>
3: um it's it's possibly a sideways step i'd say in the arsenal you know and i know this is uh this is something clive talks about a lot arsenal only played part of the game really well again and i think what he's wants to build them up to and whether that's a physical thing or a mental thing i, I suspect it's physical but i also suspect it's just these things take time as well and um it'll probably. Improve Prove after a couple of transfer windows, etc. But we're playing really well in parts of the game. We're not. We're not playing brilliantly for ninety minutes. I mean, I thought in this game, we showed a couple of different sides to ourselves. So, um, yes, we we kind of dominated possession in the first half an hour or so, and we. I, I don't think we've seen an Arsenal team do that um, in that manner for quite a while. I, I, while um it didn't have enough kind of chance creation, it didn't feel like sterile possession either. Um, you know, i I felt I felt good watching that. That didn't look like just aimless side to side stuff that perhaps mm. we saw in the in the latter of years. There was a, a punch and a purpose to it. And and I just think that honestly <clears throat> You know, Palace are pretty good defensively. They they're, they're difficult to move around. They sit in their holes, and uh, we perhaps just didn't quite have the ingenuity up front to really move them around and or get them to come out a bit at us. But um, and then you know, I think there was like the last ten minutes maybe of the first half, or we we started to lose that a little bit, which you know could be natural game state. Um, It is very rare that any team really, particularly away from home, dominates for the entire 90 minutes. Um, The question is, like, can you suffer, uh, to use an Arteta word? And if you watch Liverpool lately, Liverpool, in fact, rarely at all are dominating games for 90 minutes. What they do is they dominate. That they capitalise on their domination, and when they're not dominating, they make sure they've still got control, and they make sure they don't give too much up, that they don't give goals up when, you know, I don't think they're ever really massively under the cosh, but perhaps when they don't have complete control of the game. And and that's kind of what we did in this game, right? We we lost control of, we didn't have control of the game, but we didn't lose control of the game, if that makes sense. The no, game I, state I totally changed. agree that, yeah. Yeah, and we responded to it and, and that's what makes the equaliser so um, so annoying. I, ju- I just don't think Palace had us in any trouble at all. And even after the equaliser, I don't think they had us in any trouble either. It was just, you know, like Arteta said, we just fell asleep for a minute and, and maybe that will take a little while to knock out the players as well. But I, th- I think, um, you know, look, this... This, this wasn't an enormous step in any direction. It, it was either sideways, half a step back or half a step forward, depending on your view. It, it wasn't, you know, the dial didn't massively move and that's okay because I think what we've got to remember is that the bar was so low when Arteta took this job yeah. that there was, I, I was reasonably convinced there was going to be like quite a big uptick um, because like it, it couldn't fight like he would have to be bad basically for it for there not to be some kind of uptick like even Freddie Lundberg in his first game in charge look he he wasn't experienced enough I don't think to to really kind of get a sustained improvement but the first half an hour of that Norwich game was so much better um, because just because the bar was so low it wasn't anything amazing um i th- i think what we're seeing now is is something promising but i think most of us recognize it's building and it's going to take time um and that the idea is right but we've got to make the execution a bit more constant and that we're kind of tactically we're on the right path but um i think now you know we're not going to see the same level of improvement that maybe we saw in the first 3 to 4 games it's going to plateau a bit because it was so the bar was so low that we couldn't fail to raise it significantly now i think you know assuming that everything goes okay it's going to go up incrementally and that's that's probably an adjustment that we're going to have to make as supporters yeah. as well that this is you know that the, there's no miracle cure here that the first like i think we're right to be enthused but that trajectory is not going to continue um, no, because that's... it can't
1: That's fair. I I do think, though, that you can, you know, you can point things and say we're rolling out a system that seems to make sense. I understand what we're trying to do. I can see the results it's having. Like, for example, even in this game, which is disappointing in the outcome, they had six shots. They had less than half a goal of expected goals. They scored off a deflection. Um, They were not really progressing the ball through us. They were doing it mostly through free kicks. I mean, they had 22 fouls suffered right we committed 22 fouls we tried to press them we tried to get in their face up the pitch they threw themselves to the ground and then kicked it long into our box so like i don't you know i don't know that we did too much wrong in our approach maybe sort of similar to the early parts of the Leeds game we played a little deeper than we should we were just sitting five yards too deep we were pressing five yards too far back and maybe some of that is that Lacazette and Ozil and Pepe, I mean, you didn't have particularly great games across the three of them. I don't know exactly how you want to point to that, but I do think that if you can look at a game and say that we gave them virtually nothing, they got a lucky goal. And what we failed to do was we failed to create enough, but we also went a good chunk of the game at the end when we would have been chasing it with 10 men. I can sort of live with that. And then at the end, the last chance falls to you and, and, and you should win it. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone has an opinion of, of whether Lacazette deserves a little bit of blame for not winning it there. I'm I'm actually sort of sympathetic that it's basically in the keeper's hands at that point. Yeah. Um. So, so I don't think you know. he...
3: I Honestly, I don't think he can do a thing with that. I yeah. really don't. Like the goalkeeper... I mean, just watch it again. The goalkeeper's on it by the time he makes contact. And the I,
1: save I d- is so good, too. I mean, Pepe's really, really unlucky not to score there.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, so then... What let, we're, yeah, what, what go we're ahead, seeing
2: please. now what we're seeing now is we shouldn't be despondent about it because we need to see this because before when we were coming out at the end of the Emory era we were having massive debates is it the coach is it the player or is it it the players and we all we all massively disagreed about that depending on who we loved the most which players we loved the most um my feeling is we've now seen the coach come in and organize so we can all see it great So our gaze is now going to flip really closely onto the players. Not in a horrible, he's got to go, he's got to go, he's got to go. But okay, if this team needs to progress, we now know the skill sets that are required. And what we need to see is more of these games, actually. More of teams working us out. Because the moment they work us out, we'll see more clearly what's required. But I think for Arteta now, he needs to absolutely see this. So he's clear And what we don't have enough of is is carriers from deep areas. We don't have enough people who can step past the first man and drive through lines and break coaching systems. We don't have enough ball retention in the top third and we haven't had all season. We don't have enough shooting from attacking midfield. We don't have enough. We just don't take enough shots we don't get into shot positions in my opinion we don't threaten we need some more bang bang shooters and we need some more all-court players obviously we need another set and a half at some point so it's we're seeing the start of something and it's going to become even clearer when the next team is now going to have four or five games of data to look at to stop us to break our system and how are we going to break out of it this is a good thing it's gonna do it's gonna make the season stale this is a good thing because when we're looking at summer targets, we will all know what we need. And I think we shouldn't be too, I think I agree with you both. I know you're saying similar things, but we need to make sure we are absolutely behind this because the next phase is going to be a little bit up and down.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, it's going to be a little bit down not having Obama and certainly Clyde, but I, I mean, on the one hand I can kind of shrug my shoulders. Cause my attitude is like, well, what are we really playing for? But first of all, you'd like to be able to go to Chelsea and beat Chelsea away. Even if you're competing for nothing, that would be really nice. Pay them back for a game that we probably should have won the first time around uh, right until the end. Without Yang, that's certainly hard to do. But maybe is, is the hidden sort of worst part of this, losing him for the Bournemouth FA Cup game? Because the FA Cup and the Europa League are sort of the season now. And, and while winning the FA Cup isn't a consolation for finishing mid-table... I mean it sort of is a consolation for finishing mid table and, and it's a competition we have a great history with and affinity for. So with Obama being out, I mean yep. it gives Martinelli maybe a chance to play a little more, which is exciting, obviously. Um, you know, and and I'm hopeful that he will. Maybe Nelson will get more playing time. But is the is the challenge that, that Bournemouth away tie and really the importance that the Cubs take on now in our season and not having him for that game?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's just me, but I'm, I enjoy the FA Cup, you know. Well, I think I, everybody know, I enjoys enjoy... it. I
1: just think if you're, you know, if you're one point off fourth, maybe say the FA Cup's not a priority. If you're, you know, two points off a title, but when you're sitting ninth, you might as well be going for the FA Cup.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, it, 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 I don't worry about it. Put it that way, I don't worry about it. I worry about, I worry about some other players' performance, and I worry about that competition. Mm-hmm. I think Martinelli is somebody that is really really bubbling. he's really bubbling under and i think you know when when he came on for nelson in the leeds game nelson got a lot of praise but i thought martin he was brilliant i thought the moment he came on he was a step above a step above nelson easily for me and um he has the personality to impact people he doesn't care where he is home or away he wants to be in this. He wants to be in the game. He Wants to be on that pitch. So I think he he should come in. I would think clearly. I would think. No, I don't know if he reacts. I think Elswood had a bad few minutes in this game. He he done amazingly well, and he just dropped away in this game. I thought Pepe is unintelligent in this game. That we are lacking an, another player, another forwardish player that gives us a bit of hope. But what you find is when the main man goes, other people step up, and I think Lacazette. Will try his best to step up and fill that void. And and because he knows he has to. And that may bring out something that's been lying dormant within him. You know, I think he's not somebody who's not trying. He's just not doing very well at the moment on the final piece. But at least he's working harder off the ball, Rocky, which he wasn't doing in, in the late Emory era. So we just got to hope, mate. Um, I, I have not got a lot of hope, if I'll be honest with you. But every game I always say every game's got a different story and maybe we'll find something else and maybe Pepe will, will step up, which he has done in, in, in brief moments, and close the gap. But I don't think the season's gonna be defined in the next three games, but um we'll know a lot more about the overall squad after the next three games.
1: Yeah, I I mean I, I certainly think that life after Obama Yang is probably going to start sooner than we'd like maybe this summer. I mean, I, I'd be happy if he stuck around, but for reasons we've discussed, it may have to start. It's not the end of the world seeing how that looks in the middle of a sort of lost season if you can find a way to get through um, these next three games and certainly progress in the in the FA Cup. I mean, I, I know it sounds silly, guys, but the Europa League is the most important thing about our season now. They give a Champions League yeah. place to the winner of that clown-ass competition, and... Could you imagine what it would mean to our club if in the middle of this garbage season we somehow snuck into the Champions League for next year and we go into this summer with Champions League football on offer? Aubameyang has played all but 10 minutes in the Premier League this season until his red card. So three games off right before the Europa League comes back? I mean, I'm not saying he meant to do it, but it may not be the worst thing in the world. Um, Final thoughts, Paul, and any any other sort of interesting nuggets you want to pick out of this game before we say goodbye?
4: Well, I think... Pepe, while he had maybe a less than uh, eye-catching overall highlights reel, this is two games in a row he's taken a shot from, from some distance, a difficult shot, and hit the post. And it, it just rings in my head what the, uh, the majority owner of Lille had said about him. And he's, he's not just an owner. He's a, a, an expert in talent spotting and data analysis, uh, and that's why Lille got to where they got to. And he said, Pepe is a world-class finisher. And I'm beginning to be convinced that he may well be a world-class finisher. Um, uh, uh, those were two really good efforts that you felt he was unlucky both
2: times. Mm. Paul, um, Paul, Paul, do you think we should get him off the right and stick him on the left? And
5: so wasn't that interesting?
4: in the second half of the... That's where I was going with this. I I can't say I fully understood it, except that maybe Maitland-Niles still needed some support and Martinelli was the better man with the 10 men. But playing Pepe from the left, and even though he tends to swing it with that left foot, he still got it. It was going inside that post from, from quite an angle out there. So it looks like he could be pretty effective from that side, which... Gives, I mean, it gives Arteta options. It it, it was a weird one for Arteta to say, you know what? I'll swap these two guys Um, because it's basically untested. But he he obviously saw something there uh, that he didn't even hesitate. It wasn't something he did after some long period of time because it wasn't working. Um, So uh, it, it was a very interesting angle and approach. But it could be an opportunity for Pepe to step up. Uh, he can provide the finishing. He has the confidence to go for it. He can only be encouraged. And uh, I'll be interested to get Clive's thoughts on what he thought was going on with Pepe from the left.
1: Yeah, um, well... I, I, think, it just, yeah, I right. just think
2: it just simplifies his game. I really do. I think um, by getting him on the left, I just think it, it makes him have to do one thing. Either go straight towards goal, because Kolasinic's outside of him, I think he gets in nearer the goal. And I agree with Paul, I think he's got a great shot, but he needs to see the sticks. When he's on the right-hand side, I think he's too close to the touchline. So I want to get want to get my shooters closer to the goal. Urzel's not shooting, So why is he taking that inside space? And get it's a bit more Manchester
4: City 2019-20 to have non-inverted wingers, to some degree anyway. Yep.
2: You read my mind, Paul. It's exactly what they did initially. I didn't agree with it when they used Sané from the left. When he was a Schalke, he played primarily on the right. And they moved him to the left. I thought, oh, I don't agree with that. I've seen all the YouTubes. But he, did quite, he did quite well, didn't he, <laughs> on the left-hand side. It simplified his game, just made it all about speed and smashing in crosses and shots. And I think maybe it wouldn't be me if you see Pepe take that role and uh, just to make it easier for him in his first season.
1: Tim, you have any strong feeling on how we'll survive without Aubameyang? Because I know you wrote an article about it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I I think Martinelli could be key here. Um, I So I I tend to think that Lacazette will be all right. It, it's weird, you know, Lacazette hasn't gone that long without a goal. Um, it's just he scored a lot of goals towards the end of the kind of Emery-Jungberg era when people had lost interest a bit and the goals didn't feel very important. Um, so I... I I think with a goal, he'll be okay. Um, What I'm really interested to see, though, is whether, you know, whether we get, like, a bit of this, I don't know, maybe, I I think maybe E-Wing theory is, like, too broad a brush um, for three games. But whether you know, a Bamiang not oh, being Oh, Ewing. There. Ewing Theory. Ewing, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I
1: just, because that's, that's a great um, reference Ewing. on your part. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's fine. Ewing Theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for anyone not familiar, it's sort of uh, the best player gets taken out of the team and everything then goes right for the team.
3: Yeah, yeah. Everyone else gives like another, I, I don't even think it's like a mentality thing so much. You know, a bit like um, when Arsenal first sold Thierry Henry, and actually what happened was Adebayor instead of just having Thierry Henry scoring 30 goals we had like we were getting 20 each from Adebayor and Van Percy. that mm. i think that's kind of that it's not just like a mentality thing but like tactically you just start to get more out of other players so whether whether that comes into a lot, a lot um, i'll be interested to see how Lacazette reacts because there's been a little bit of spotlight on him anyway but he's kind of been i don't want to say getting away with it but he's been playing well um, and, you know, we beat Manchester United and we beat Leeds. So it, it kind of mattered less. But now there's there's going to be a lot more focus on him, especially in that Chelsea game. Um, and, you know, whether we can get Ozil a bit closer to the goal, um, I don't know. But um, I, I'd certainly put Martinelli. Um, in that front three, I think I think he's the one who's got that kind of end product who can sniff a chance, and and he's a decent wide player as well. Um, and actually, I know James said this in the Ask cast extra earlier, but I was honestly thinking it. I I think he can play that kind of a Bamiyang inside forward role where he kind of goes out on the left or the right, whichever, when we're in possession, and then. Once the ball comes forward, he can make that darting run into the area exactly like the one we saw Bamiang make at Selhurst. So um, I'm, I'm really interested um, in this because in writing that article, I looked it up, Bamiang has scored 48% of our goals in the Premier League, which is astonishing for when you're over halfway through the season. That's absolutely, I mean, that's astonishing in that he's really good, but astonishing in a really bad way, particularly when we've got you know really you know we've got Pepe, Ozil, Lacazette like he shouldn't be the only one but um, yeah I, I'm i really interested and, and like you say like this season feels if not consequence free as close to it as we're mm. probably going to experience so I think this is an interesting test for Arteta um, I, I think it's one he'll kind of relish though I think he'll relish thinking right how do I get Lacazette and uh, Lacazette and or Özil maybe ten yards further up the pitch so that they're not kind of? you know, got their backs to goal 20 yards away? How do I get them facing goal inside the penalty area? And I'm I'm hugely interested to see that. And I, I really wonder, just to hark back to the theme from earlier in the pod, I really wonder if Ceballos is going to be part of that.
1: And, I, I well, I'll tell you something. I, I don't buy into the Ewing theory in the sense that I think we're better without Obamiang. I think, obviously, we won't yeah. be. But what I will say is that it gives Arteta, not a chance, but it forces Arteta to try to solve some different problems over the next three games. And given that the Europa League is our most important competition now, and it's about to come back, maybe just maybe a player steps up who, you know, in a position that he wasn't familiar with, like Pepe on the left, or maybe, you know, Martinelli on the right (laughs) works, or maybe this helps get Lacazette out of his, his rut because he has to step up, or we try a different midfield without Ozil that works. My point is if these next three games get him to try something that clicks something else into place, that can only help us as as European knockout football comes back. So let's hope that he learns some things that, that are valuable and, and Obama Yang's rest could be helpful because, I mean...
4: It frees his hand a little bit because his yeah. team sheet at the moment is Lacazette at nine, Aubameyang from the left. Now, what else do I do?
1: Yeah, and, and I, look, I mean... It seems crazy to me that they give a Champions League place for the Europa League, but they do. <laughs> so let's let's try for that. I think we can leave it there on that game. We've got uh, Cl- Clive coming up with another pod for patrons tomorrow. We'll have Scott's as well. Uh, one other thing for the back half of the week that is definitely not going to be fly by the seat of our pants winged. It's definitely, definitely been uh, planned out and is is a detailed plan that will be enacted upon later in the week. So that's a good thing. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at My pants. Thanks, Paul. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Soberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot the black man tour Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Hey, look, we aren't doing ad breaks. We're not stopping for ads until Paul tells me he needs new shoes or something like that, but we're we're not. And so the only thing I would say is if you want to get free athletic content, look, they give you a month free when you use our promo code. Then the rest of the year is half off. It's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Um, we've got some of their reporters coming on as transfer news breaks this month. But if you're ever going to get a free month for The Athletic, a transfer window seems like a good time to do it. The other thing is we have a Patreon. We are thrilled that uh, some of you have signed up. We would love it if you would sign up. If it's not for you, no big deal. Totally understand. But we do take it really, really seriously and try to put a lot of good content on there so that uh, if you do sign up, you know that it's not being taken for granted. So either way, uh, those would be uh, both great things to sign up for and we hope you will. And if you won't, we hope you join us for the next pod, which will be after... Mm, uh, help...
3: Sheffield United. Arsenal
1: 10. Sheffield United Mills.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.